If you got your Bibles, uh, I want you to open them to two places. I want you to put your finger in Jeremiah chapter 9, and then I want you to hold another place in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3. For those of you who do this on the phone, this is going to be challenging, but you can start with Jeremiah chapter 9. Our main passage will be from Philippians chapter 3 today. We're beginning a new series called Your Name, and uh, I am thrilled to be together in this series for the summer months of June and July, and um, I hope that you will be here and committed with us to journey through this series together. We know, uh, I just want to share a little bit of this morning, this, this morning is going to be an introduction to the series to help you kind of hear the heart and vision behind it and hopefully help you understand why I believe this series is so important. I actually had the opportunity to uh, teach this series several times in my ministry, and the reason I have done it several times is because I believe it is so rich for us as Christians to really grow in our relationship with God. I know from the Westminster Catechism that uh, the Westminster Catechism says very plainly, the chief end of man is this. Do you all know what it is? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. I think I got it on the screen. The chief end of man is this, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Now, the reality is, even if we embrace this, um, we have to embrace the reality that something in our lives is essential for this chief end to be fulfilled. Namely, that we must know God. To be able to glorify God, you need to know God. And to be able to enjoy God, you must be able to, to know God. Therefore, knowing God is essential for these bigger purposes that we have in our life. I think there's a slide for this. Um, if you're taking notes this morning, I always encourage you to take notes so that you can not just be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. But we can only glorify God to the degree that we know him. And we can only enjoy God to the degree that we know him. The reality is the knowledge of God. And I'm not talking this morning about like head knowledge. I'm talking about an experience with God. There's a difference of knowledge about God and knowledge of God. And what we should desire more than anything else in life is not knowledge about God, but knowledge of God. There are a lot of people who know about God. There are many fewer people who know God. A little bit of knowing God is worth so much more than a lot of knowing about God. And I'm talking about knowing God. The knowledge of God is more essential for the Christian than the knowledge of anything else, Nathan said. Nathan Stone. Yes, of all things together. You could pursue a lot of things in life. I mean, there are a lot of things 
that you could aspire to. There are a lot of things that you could want, could, could put your purpose to, but it, the, there is one thing that is more essential in your life than anything else. And I am speaking uh, from experience and, and on the basis of the Word of God. There is there's one thing that is the most essential than anything else, more than anything else, and it is the pursuit of knowing God. And in the pursuit of knowing God, we're able to fulfill the purpose that he has for us, which is glorifying him and enjoying him forever. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 to 24. I don't want you to take my words for it. Jeremiah chapter 9. I wanted to start with this. God says to his people through the prophet Jeremiah, the nation of Israel, and it's true for us today. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Do y'all see it? Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. In other words, we could give ourselves, we, we got to admit that in our culture, we, we get the acquisition of knowledge, don't we? If we put I mean, some of you guys here, and I'm not, not including myself in this, y'all are, y'all are smart folks. Y'all know a lot of stuff. You have acquired a great deal of knowledge in this world. And that knowledge could make you feel really self-confident, really good about yourself. It could even give you pride, a reason for boasting. There are some really strong folks here. Again, I'm not including myself in this group either. Although I have worked out once in my life. I won't tell you how many years ago it was. But we pay for the gym membership every month just to make ourselves feel better. Michelle actually uses it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. There are some of you guys who are strong. You might be strong-willed, strong personality, actually physically strong. And we could get to a point in our, in our lives where we feel good about ourselves because we're so strong of a person. There are many of us who have a possession, a material possession that is more than we need. Many of us have homes. We have stuff in our homes. We have a car or cars. We have a bank account. We accumulate stuff. And we can begin in life to get comfortable with what we accumulate and to get proud of what we have in terms of our stuff. Even confident because, you know what? I got a job. I got a bank account. I got a savings. I got a stock. I got stuff. I got family. I'm, I'm good. But, but God looks at us and says, be very, very, very careful, my people. Let not the wise man, the one who's acquired knowledge, think that he's anything because of what he's acquired in terms of his knowledge. Don't, don't pride yourself on the acquisition of knowledge. Don't pride yourself. Be careful on just being a strong person. Don't pride yourself on the stuff that you have, your riches. No, no, no. If you're going to boast in anything in life, says the Lord, 
let's boast in this that you understand and know me. For I am the Lord. I have given you your life and your life has been given so that you would know me and make much of me. If there's anything that you should be happy about in your life, be happy about this, that you are in a relationship with me such that you understand me and know me. You see what God is saying to us? This is, this is the heart of what God has for you today. And there's a lot of us that start to pat ourselves on the back and feel really good because we have so much. But I wonder with what God sees in our heart and what we know of ourselves, where are we in terms of the measure of how much we truly understand and know the Lord? Not know about, but really know Him. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, he says it's because of lack of knowledge that the people are being destroyed. Jesus prayed in the garden. We looked at this, and I won't go back to study this too much, but John chapter 17, verse 3. You remember in the garden, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and he's praying for you and me. And he says, oh, God, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they might know you, the true and living God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Jesus is defining the very essence of eternal life, not as a pancake party with grandma after we die. And I'm not trying to minimize the anticipation of heaven and the, the good things that will be there, but the reality is a lot of us approach eternal life and think salvation is just something like fire insurance, avoidance of hell and a promise of something better to come. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Eternal life, if you understand it, at its essence is this. Eternal life is the opportunity for you to know the living God. What a joy to be invited into such a wonderful life. Now, Philippians chapter 3. I told you that hold your, your thumb there, and I want you to just really mark this maybe. And, and this week, this is going to be, I hope, uh, something that you can pray about and really consider in your own, your own heart and life. Philippians chapter 3. In light of this reality that the essence of life is knowing God, not about Him, but knowing Him. See, the people of God have always been marked by this, this passion for knowing Him. And this is what we see here in Philippians chapter 3 with Paul the Apostle, one who was once very much against Christianity. He was even uh, killing people who, who came into relationship with Jesus, but Jesus radically transformed his life, and he came to know the saving grace of Jesus, and his life was surrendered over to our Savior. And, and Paul's a radically different man after he came into relationship with Jesus. And in chapter 3, some of my favorite verses. Has anybody else ever read this chapter and just go, man, this is an amazing chapter. This is one of my favorite chapters. And these verses, guys, when I was in college, I will never forget um, in my own life, having lived for wisdom, having lived for strength, having lived for riches. I, I, I'll never forget the turning point in my life where I began to despair of all that I had, realizing that all that I had was nothing compared to what I needed, which is really God. 
And these verses, God used them to set my heart on fire. He says in verse 8, or let's start in verse 7. Paul goes through in the, in the verses previous, and he talks about all that he had had once in his life that he had prided himself in. But then he talks in verse 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as, what? As loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, circle this phrase, if you don't mind writing your Bible, surpassing worth. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing, there's this phrase again, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, in other words, for the sake of knowing Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, like a trash heap, a pile of dung, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In other words, it's not about what I can do. It's about what God can do for me. And I connect with what he has done for me in Christ by believing upon him. That I may, look at verse 10. Here it is again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, here's a guy who's been set on fire with a passion and a purpose for life. Would you agree? And his passion and purpose, he says, listen, if there's one thing in life, I, I used to be all about where I came from and what I accomplished and what I could do for the Lord. He goes, no, 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 that's, that's gone. It's not about me at all. Whatever gain I had, I now put that aside because I want one thing, and the one thing I want is to know my God even more. Because of the surpassing worth. In other words, it's the greatest thing in the world to know and grow in my relationship with God. You, you, you sense that he's not there yet. He gets it. He gets that he's like tasted and seen that the Lord is good, but he also gets that there's more to be experienced. And he just wants it. He wants God. This is the heart of all who know the Lord. So, knowing God. I'll just put up a slide here, will help us, is the real fountain of spiritual life. God's not primarily wanting to sign you up to be a worker for him. Some of us think that about Christianity. God is primarily inviting us into a relationship with him. Christianity is all about the opportunity to know God. Knowing God is the real fountain of spiritual life. You want to experience more spiritual life? Yearn to experience more of God. Second, it's the real fountain of joy. Joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I've got, y'all remember singing that as a kid? Or I'm just, Some of y'all are looking at me like, I didn't sing that and you just sound stupid. So, Deep joy. There is a difference and joy that comes from circumstance 
and joy that comes from relationship with God. If we look to circumstance, we will ride a roller coaster, will we not? But if we look to God, we find a fountain of joy that never runs dry. Don't turn to broken cisterns like God said to Jeremiah. Turn to the fountain, the fountain of life. Real joy is found not in trying to control circumstance, but in trying to depend upon God. That's where joy is. And then third, real fountain of power. Knowing God brings a real fountain of power. You want to experience real opportunity for your heart to change and to open and to blossom. Listen, it comes in relationship with God. And not only these three, but like I just said, it should be, fourth and finally, the overwhelming passion and purpose of our lives. Knowing God, and again, I keep, I keep trying to come back to this. Please don't tire of hearing me say it, because I think it's important. I'm not talking about knowing about God. I'm talking about knowing God. If we knew and experienced just half the things we knew about in our heads, we would be radically transformed people. Many, many, many of us come from backgrounds, maybe even today, where you have acquired knowledge about God. You can give all of the answers. You know so many things. But yet, in your real heart, your heart is not feasting on those things and satisfied by those things and overflowing with life because of those things. In your real life, your life is not depending on those things or even exhibiting those things. There, there's, there's, this, there's this divide sometimes between what we know about and what we experience. And I'm not talking about what we know about. I'm talking about what we experience because joy is found, friends, on the experience. Joy is found in the relationship. The overwhelming passion and purpose of our lives should be to grow in our experience of the living God. Amen? That's what I'm trying to put forward this morning. Now, you probably go, well, what in the world uh, does this have to do with anything? Well, it has, it has a lot to do with things. J.I. Packer, he said, what makes life worthwhile? His book, Knowing God, bestseller, highly recommend. Put it in your Amazon cart, but not right now because you'll stop listening. Knowing God, you should read it. What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this, the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, and more compelling goal can there be than to know God? That's what he says. So, I'm convinced. This is why I'm doing this series. I'm convinced, because of the Bible and my own experience, that God longs for us to know him more fully. He longs to show us and to give us more of himself. He desires to be known for all that he truly is. But I also am convinced that we have a lot of room to grow, which is why I am excited about this series. Now, there are many ways in which we can know God, okay? Many, many ways. And yes, primarily the way that we can get to know God is in Jesus Christ. Like Hebrews 1 talks about, which we studied two years ago. 
in these last days, he's spoken to us by the Son. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. We know that God primarily reveals himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And if you don't know Jesus today, that's, that's where you start, okay? We also know that the word of God is incredibly helpful for us. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, right? For all scripture is, is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God might be complete, equipped in every good work. We know the word of God is essential in this. But I, I also believe that it is a great opportunity for us to know something of the names of God. Because the names of God actually help us to know, to know the person of God. Uh, in Exodus chapter 3, Moses uh, has been commissioned by God to go and to lead the people toward the promised land. And, and right before he, he departs in the presence of God, he says to God, if you remember right, he, he says, uh, okay, so if I come to the people of Israel, right, and I say to them, the God of your fathers has, has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? In other words, Moses has an understanding that knowing something about the name of God helps us to know something about the, the character of God. I need to know more about you, Moses is basically saying. So will you please tell me your name? Which I just think is interesting. He's, he's equating knowledge of God with the name of God. Now, um, you might be thinking, well... What name of God? I, most of us only know one name of God, right? Here it is. God. <laughs> I mean, let's just be honest. That's what most of us know. So you might be thinking, um, well, this is going to be an interesting series, nine weeks on that. Just God, okay? Um, well, Yes, that is what most of us know, because in English, unfortunately, in many ways, that's the best of what we can do in terms of our translation. Um, but even like A.W. Tozer, another book that you should put in your Amazon cart, The Knowledge of the Holy. Anybody ever read that one? Knowledge of the Holy by a guy named A.W. Tozer. His first two names are so weird that he just does the initials. So um, A.W. It's like C.S. Lewis. Uh, one day I'm going to start writing books, and I'm just gonna, they're going to be by B.B. Bowden, you know? Makes you sound so much smarter. I'm trying to be funny, it's just flopping. A.W. <clears throat> Tozer says this, what we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the reality is we don't get to decide who God is. God is who he is. We don't get to make changes to that. So the most important thing that we can do is to grow in our understanding of who God really is. Because it's not about what we want Him to be. It's about knowing Him as He actually is. And my concern many times is that we can't, um, when we talk about God, and, and I've I've been guilty of this myself, but sometimes when we talk about God, who are we talking about? 
And what is the basis of our understanding or our thinking about God really based on? Is it on what we've heard or what we know, what we wish for? we got to know who God is. Now, the reality is, um, I don't do this very much because I think the Bible is, has, there's a great translation of the Bible in English. It's pretty awesome. We have the Bible in our own language. There are very few times that you will hear me talk about um, the original languages because typically, I don't want you to think that knowledge of God is dependent on some language that is foreign to almost all of us, right? I want you to know that you can access the truths about God from his word. But in this case with the names of God, it is funny, and, and I actually think this is one exception because our English language presents some limitations for us because we just can't fully get all of the significance of the names of God uh, that, are, that are really available for us when we begin to study in the original language. Um, so, some of you might still be thinking, what, what are we talking about? Because all I know is just the word God. So what's in a name, all right? Here, here's what's in a Most of us, you go back aside for just a second. Most of us, what's your name? You know your name. How did you get your name? Okay, for most of us in the Western world, when we start thinking about names, we are typically picking names nowadays for how cute they sound. How they, how they sound with the middle name we like or the last name that we can't change. So um, the reality is uh, most of us are doing that. We picked Caroline's name because it sounds cute. And Caroline Kennedy was a really cool and smart person. And I don't know. I mean, I don't really know why we decided. It just... We just liked it. Most of y'all probably got your name in a similar way. Now, we picked her middle name, Jane, because it, it went well with Caroline, but also my great-grandmother's name was Jane, and we really love her and her character, what she represents, all that kind of stuff. I'm pretty sure I, I inherited a family name. My name, Bear, is a family name, but it does mean one of courage. Unfortunately, my parents didn't know that when they named me. Um, but I, I have a plaque in my office that says, Barrett, one of courage. <laughs> it just makes me feel good. Anyway, um, most of us don't know uh, what our names necessarily mean. But if, I'm telling you, if you go to Africa, like where I spend a lot of time, when they name a child, even today, they name that child. For instance, they gave me a name when I got to Africa, Bangali Ture. It means one of strength and actually courage, which maybe the Lord's trying to tell me something. It, it means strong warrior. And some of y'all are looking at me like, yeah, that's pretty funny. That was a joke. But um, even in Africa, when they name childs, they pick the name based on the meaning of the name. I know, we have a lot of Asian friends and people in the church, and they know what they're naming their child, what that name represents, right? That's foreign concept to us, but it's not foreign to the culture of the Bible. Now you can go ahead to the next slide. In the Bible... Biblical names carry significance. They often carry significance. And the significance is it tells something about the person's character or the person's quality. You, you find that all throughout the scriptures. For instance, the name Adam in the Hebrew literally means of the ground. Okay? His companion Eve that God formed literally means life-giving. Some of y'all remember the story of Abraham and Sarah as they got news that they were going to have Isaac. And when they had Isaac, it was such a surprise that they named him. He laughs. Significant names. No wonder then in the scriptures you find over and over and over God 
when they, people encounter God, they, he changes their name. He gives them new names to represent something about their new quality or their new character. Everybody track him. Now, the same exact thing is true of God. God gives himself names. Actually, they, because of who God is, he always has been, he is, and he always will be. He, he has names. It's not like he gives himself. He ha- his character is unchangeable, and there are names that God has that help us to see more of his character, more of his quality, more of the way he works, and that we can grow in relationship with him. And there's not just one name. Many times in our Bibles, we just read God or we just read the Lord. But behind that, in the original languages, are distinct names of of God. There are three primary ones, Elohim, Yahweh, which we translate Jehovah, same, and then Adonai. And then there's compound names that just uh, mix mix some of those names with other names. But they're distinct names which we're going to walk through. And these names are significant for us. Because by the name, just like you get to know me, one of courage. <clears throat> it's still a joke. But by the name, many of us do this with nicknames, you know? You meet somebody named Slim, guarantee you he's going to be slender, right? But in the same way, getting to know someone, getting to know the name helps us know who the person is and to grow in relationship with him. This is the truth about, about God. Now, to help you see how significant this is. I'm going to walk through a few uh, trail of verses. You might could just write down the references so you could, because I want you to be educated about these things and to help you understand why, um, uh, why what I'm saying is actually, is actually true. To help you see the significance of this, that the name of God really is intention to help us know more about the person of God. Okay? I just want to, you're going to get this probably as you start thinking about how you use it in your own life. But there's some, some places where the name of God is employed that can help us understand why I, I believe this is important. For instance, in, in Genesis chapter 12, at the very beginning of the story of Abraham, it says, Abraham built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 12, verses 8. In Genesis chapter 21, verse 33, it says that, Abraham planted a tree and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. So you see that people are worshiping, and their worship is centered around the name. Quite interesting. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, we know that the Lord says, I'm going to pass, make all of my goodness to pass before you, and, and I will proclaim my name before you, the Lord. So, interestingly, God's showing up to, to Moses and says, I'm going to show you all of my goodness, and I'm going to do that by proclaiming my name. So there's this equation between the name of the Lord and the person and the presence, the, the transcendent power of the Lord. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, the Ten Commandments, which we actually looked at last summer, right? Do you all remember verse 7, one of the basic Ten Commandments? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Vain just means to be empty, to be without meaning, to describe something that doesn't have any substance or or actually would work against it to its detriment. So, in other words, to take the name 
of the Lord in vain would be to ascribe to the Lord something that is inconsistent with his character. You see? You see? So God's saying, you protect my name. That's a basic command and desire that I have for you. You need to know who I am so that you don't ascribe to me something that I am not. You see? Very basic. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 5, describes, it says, For the Lord has chosen him out of all your tribes to stand and to minister in the name of the Lord. This is the job of the priest. You will work on my behalf, ministering in my name, you and all your sons for all times. This is the work that continues in the work of pastors to this day. So the name of the Lord refers to the whole character of God as we see in the Old Testament. There's so many more references I could use. I want to jump to the New Testament and help you see that in the day of Jesus, in our day of salvation, knowing the grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ by his life, death, and resurrection for us, it's the same. In John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, we look at this this last fall, John chapter 1. John says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John is saying salvation comes as we believe in his name. And there's not something magic about the letters J-E-S-U-S. There's just not, because you go around the world, and many people call upon his name in many different words. What matters is, do you know the character of your Savior, and is your heart fully believing upon him for salvation? The name represents his person and character. Y'all tracking with me? Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. It says that where two or three are gathered together in his name, there I am among them. I've heard this abused and misused so many times. Just because we put up a sign on the wall that says we're gathering in J-E-S-U-S doesn't necessarily mean that God is present with us. But when all are seeking together after the very heart of the true and living God, God comes to dwell among us. That's what he's saying. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us the basics of our prayer life. And again, this is not a prayer that we should just repeat in vain repetition. This is teaching us the heart of what it looks like to pray. But he says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, pray like this. God, you are the only true God. You are in the heavens. And God, you are wonderful. You are the best. You are set apart. You are perfect in all of your ways. How it would be your name just means, God, your person. It's an equation of the name of the person of God. Your person is above all others. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, he also repeats that what Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. In other words, this is not just something to wear. I want a red Lamborghini, so let me pray for it. In Jesus' name, amen. No. What Jesus is saying is, your prayers become effective when you know the heart and person of your God. And if you know the heart and person and the power and promise of your God, you will be praying not for your selfish ambition, but you will be praying for his purposes and his glory. Do you see? 
And when you get your heart in line with who he is and you begin to intercede on, in his name according to his person and his promise and his purpose, then you better believe it. He's going to answer your prayers. Do you see? In the book of Acts, I'll just pull one reference out, Acts chapter 5, verse 41. There's so many of them in Acts, I can't even go through them all today. But the book of Acts makes frequent mention of worship and service and, yes, suffering in the sake of his name. In Acts chapter 5, it says that the disciples left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the dishonor of the name. In other words, they were so happy to identify with Jesus that they didn't care what it meant for them. They just wanted to make much of who he was. And then I'll end with this one, Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Famous verse that we, we talk about all the time, but I'm just trying to help it settle maybe in your heart in a different context. Paul says, the, the church of Philippi, therefore God has ex- highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Do you know what you're talking about when you talk about the name of Jesus? We're not just talking about some magic word. We are talking about this passion and pursuit of our lives that should be to know the true and living God and to live in accordance with his ways. The center of worship, the center of praise, the center of adoration, the the center of, of that glory that will forever be, it revolves around this name, this most wonderful name, this person and presence of our God who he has invited us to know. What a great God. The name of God. There's two verses that have been dear to my heart. That I'm going to leave you with today. Um, one is Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10. And I would like to ask that our whole church work hard, no matter your age, no matter your busyness of life, no matter whatever it is, I ask sincerely that you work hard to memorize these two verses over the course of this summer if you never have. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says this, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and they are safe. Secondly, Psalm chapter 20, verse 7. It's a verse that Michelle and I have held really dear to our hearts and we have prayed it many times as we have walked into big things that we feel like God has called us to. It says, some trust in chariots, some in horses. But we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Some trust in wisdom, Some trust in how much they've studied. Some trust in their resume. Some trust in their bank account. Some trust in their own natural abilities. Some trust in their suave with women and men. Some trust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Some trust in 
You name what's going on in your life today, but not, not those who know the Lord. No, we trust in the person of our great God. We trust in the name of the Lord, our God. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our boast, our hope, our confidence is not in me. It's in God. And I know him, which is why I stand today in such joy, peace, and strength. There's a couple of bullets that I'll put up in closing. Think. His name for us, our refuge, our hope, our confidence, our joy. His name. I'm excited about going through this series. Um, I really am. And I just, you know, what I'm curious about is just, again, Philippians 3. I want it to be the place where you come back to again and again this week. What I'm curious about is where your heart is. Have, have we gotten into a place, have you gotten to a place in your own life where you've just been content with wisdom, power, riches, <laughs> But, but maybe your, your boast, if you're really honest. Now, everybody in a church setting, oh, yeah, my boast is in the Lord. But I want to know where your heart really is. God, you're not going to fool God. Is your boast today, like Jeremiah, really in the Lord? Let the one who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Is that your greatest joy? Is that the thing that you're the most thankful for and proud about? That? I I. I Know the Lord. He has saved me by his grace, and I have an opportunity to know him. Is that truly your boast? And then from Philippians 3, where I'm saying I want you to root all week, is the overwhelming passion and purpose of your life, if you're honest, okay, I know everybody would probably tell me, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about what it really is. What drives you? Like, what is the thing that really deep down drives you? What are you the most passionate about and most purposed for? Paul says, I count everything as loss in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. I'm not talking about knowing about it. I'm talking about a real experience with God. I want to know him. I want to fellowship with him. I want to experience his power. I want to know more of God. This is my passion and pursuit. God, would it be so of my heart like it was Paul's. Amen. That's the joy of this series. As we close this morning, I'm just going to ask for you to get in a place where you can pray. and We're going to transition toward our closing. But You know, the Spirit of God is very much alive and is here. And um, this morning, I just want to tell you that God can awaken dead things in your heart. Like if, if you feel like you're in a desert place, a dry place with the Lord, where maybe you, knowing about God has overwhelmed knowing God, I just want to tell you this morning that God can renew your heart. Like if you just ask God, it says, seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all your heart. This morning, God can renew your heart. He can put into your heart this passion for him. It involves confessing the ways that we have turned from God and choosing to turn away from those things, repenting of that, our sin. 
and involves turning toward God and saying, God, I want my greatest boast to be understanding and knowing you. I want to experience more of the surpassing worth of, of just relationship with you. You can pray that this morning, and God answers that prayer when it's prayed in sincerity. So let's just all yearn for more of God. Wherever you are, you can yearn for more. None of us knows God completely, and this, this day we can just pray, God, would my greatest passion, my greatest purpose be to know you. Would you open my heart more? Would I be more, more excited about knowing you? Help me, God. Help me. Thank you for your love and grace. Thank you for your power that can renew and change my heart. Thank you, God. Let's pray that this morning. There's prayer counselors in the back. I'm here at the front. If you want to make a decision for Jesus, if you want to join our church, come. Come talk to us. Just pray about anything in your life. If there's some trouble you're facing, you just need prayer this morning, come and pray. The Lord is here.